Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We are still waiting for the Minnesota Attorney General. Uh, the press conference looks like it's about to start, so let's go there right now. Today, I'm taking your questions. He will not be able to answer any questions about evidence or how evidence is evaluated, any question about witnesses, any question about the timeline of events that led to Mr. Floyd's death, or any investigative detail. It is all under investigation. It is currently confidential. So I just want to set that expectation right now. With that, Attorney General Ellison. First of all, thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the press. Uh, want my myself and uh, my friend Mike Freeman want to share some information with you. I want to begin with a reminder, and that is that we're here today because George Floyd is not here. He should be here. He should be alive, but he's not. About nine days ago, the world watched Floyd utter his very last words: "I can't breathe," as he pled for his life. The world heard Floyd call out for his mama and cried out, don't kill me. Just two days ago, when I became the lead prosecutor in the murder of Mr. Floyd, I asked for time to thoroughly review all the evidence in the case. And, and we looked at case, the evidence that's available and the uh, investigation is ongoing at this time. I also said that I know it's asking a lot of people to give us time particularly people who have suffered for decades and centuries of injustice to be patient. And yet we did get that time and together uh, a very strong experienced team, uh, which included uh, County attorney, Mike Freeman, his team and my team. We reviewed the evidence together with the BCA and we have something to announce today. Before I announce it, I want to say thank you for the patience of the people who they've shown me and our entire team in pursuit of justice. And I'm here uh, to make these announcements right now. First, today <clears throat> I filed an amended complaint that charges, that charges former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin with murder in the second degree for the death of George Floyd. I believe the evidence available us now supports the stronger charge of second-degree murder. We've consulted with each other, and we agree. Second, today, arrest warrants were issued for former Minneapolis police officers uh, J.A. King, Thomas Lane, and Tu Tao. Finally, I'd like to announce that today, Hennepin County Attorney Michael Freeman and I uh, uh, filed a complaint that charges uh, police officer King, Lane, and Tao with aiding and abetting murder in the second degree of felony offense. I strongly believe that these developments are in the interest of justice for Mr. Floyd, his family, our community, and our state. I'm the lead prosecutor in this case. I'll be speaking and addressing the public 
Uh, and this is, but this is absolutely a team effort. Uh, we are working together on this case with only one goal, justice for George Floyd. I want to thank first Mr. Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman, who has been a true partner in this matter at every step of the way. His experience and insight have been invaluable and will continue to be counted on by the team. I also want to thank County Attorney Freeman's professional staff who have cooperated and worked together with my staff uh, and the investigating officers every, from the very minute this case started. I also want to thank Superintendent Drew Evans of the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension uh, and his professional staff for the care and speed with which they are conducting this investigation. And I want to thank especially U.S. Attorney Erica McDonald and Special Agent in Charge Rainer uh, Drolskagen, who are conducting a parallel federal color of law investigation. I have heard directly from the leadership of the uh, Department of Justice that there is full support for her leadership in pursuit of her investigation. And as she put it so well, one team, one goal, one mission. I agree 100%. As I said earlier, I think Mr. Floyd's family, I think, and I can speak for uh, Mr. <clears throat> Mr. Freeman and I jointly thank them, along with uh, uh, U.S. Attorney uh, McDonald, we thank the community for their patience and allowing us the time and space we need over these days to lay these charges. <clears throat> As it is so hard to do, I now ask for continued patience. This case continues to be under investigation. We will not be able to say very much publicly about the investigation, except that we encourage anyone who believes that they have evidence in this case to come forward and to be cooperative with the investigation. As we develop the case for prosecution, which will, which will also not be able, we will not be able to say very much publicly about it because our job is to seek justice and to obtain a conviction, not to make statements in the press, but to put, do our talking in court. So I ask for your patience again while we limit our public comments in pursuit of justice. I also ask for your trust that we are pursuing justice by every legal and ethical means available to us. I also want to add a word of caution. The investigation is ongoing. We are following the path of all of the evidence. Wherever it leads, we are investigating as quickly as we can because speed is important. We're also investigating as thoroughly as we can because being complete and thorough is critically important, but it takes time. The reason thoroughness is important is because every single link in the prosecutorial chain must be strong. It needs to be strong because trying this case will not be an easy thing. Winning a conviction will be hard. In fact, County Attorney Freeman is the only prosecutor in the state of Minnesota who has successfully convicted a police officer for murder. And he can tell you that it's hard. I say that uh, I say this not because we doubt our resources or our ability. In fact, we're confident in what we're doing. But history does show that there are clear challenges here, and we are going to be working very hard in relying on each other and our investigative uh, partners and the community to support that endeavor.
to the Floyd family, to our beloved community, and to everyone that is watching, I say, George Floyd mattered. He was loved. His family was important. His life had value. And we will seek justice for him and for you, and we will find it. The very fact that we have filed these charges means that we believe in them. But what I do not believe is that one successful prosecution can rectify the hurt and loss that so many people feel. The solution to that pain will be slow and difficult work of constructing justice and fairness in our society. That work is the work of all of us. We don't need to wait for the resolution and investigation of this case to start that work. We need citizens, neighbors, leaders in government and in faith communities, civil and human rights activists to begin rewriting the rules for a just society now. We need new policy and legislation and ways of thinking at the municipal, state, and federal levels. The world of arts and entertainment can use their cultural influence to inspire change that we need. There is a role for all who dream of a justice that we haven't yet experienced. In the final analysis, a protest can shake a tree and can make the fruit ball fall down. But after that fruit is in reach, collecting it and making the jam must follow. The demonstrations and the protests are dramatic and necessary, but building just institutions is more of a slow grind but equally important. And we have to begin that work as well. We need your energy and we need everyone's help right now. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, we'll take a few questions. Yes, ma'am. We believe we have a duty to charge the, the charges that fit the facts in this case when we have, we have done so. And so uh, our concern is to put the, all the energy we can into putting forth the strongest case that we can without fear or favor of anyone or anything. These, these charges are based on the facts that we have found, and we're going to pursue them. The uh, head of the county attorney, obviously, got the case from him. Uh, was he going to uh, plead this case, uh, the murder-free case? Is that why the state took over? That is what sources have said. The Hennepin County attorney did an excellent job by gathering facts and has worked cooperatively with us at every single step of the way. Uh, we uh, cons consulted with each other on these charges. We believe that these are the right charges. Mike Freeman and I will be, we've signed a complaint for these uh, additional charges. And so uh, that's, that's what we're doing. So. The whole nation, indeed the whole world, has been awaiting some type of announcement from your office. Can you describe the process involved in your deliberation and what impact do you think today's decision might have, not just in Minneapolis, but for those across the country watching you right now? 
Unfortunately, I can't delve into our deliberative process. But what I will tell you generally is we gathered all the facts that we could. We reviewed the criminal statutes. We looked at case law. We consulted with each other. And we arrived at these charges. We believe that they're justified by the facts and the law. What does this impact have on them, this decision? The pursuit of justice is always good and right. And uh, we, I want to signal to them that um, uh, we hope that they continue to raise the cause of justice but do it in a peaceful manner. Uh, it is their right to express themselves. Uh, and uh, with that, I will say that they should, they should continue in their own communities uh, to get together to build uh, just police community relationships. We need the faith community to be involved. We need arts and entertainment to help inspire us toward justice. We need everybody. There's a lot more to do than just this case, and we ask people to do that. You know, I, I want to thank you for asking that question because part of my comments were to help um, set expectations in a realistic light. The, you know, in order to be thorough, this is going to take months. And I don't know how many, but it is better to make sure that we have a solid case, fully investigated, researched before we uh, go to trial, uh, than to rush it. Uh, we don't. We are, and so it, it will take a while, and I, I can't set a deadline on that. Way in the back. Chris Carolina. The Floyd family had asked for a first-degree murder charge as well as their attorney. You decided to charge second-degree unintentional murder uh, while committing a felony. Can you explain what that charge means, unintentional murder versus second-degree intentional murder, please? Well, according to Minnesota law, you have to have premeditation and deliberation uh, to charge first-degree murder. Uh, Second-degree murder, you have to intend uh, for death to be the result. Uh, for second-degree felony murder, you have to intend the felony uh, and then death be the result without necessarily having uh, it be the intent. So that is the, that's the state of the law. The felony would be the, well, he was, we would contend that uh, George Floyd was assaulted uh, and that, um, and so that would be the underlying felony. Do you accept any plea deals in this or do you expect all four to go to trial? And secondly, when will the body camera footage be released? You know, I really don't have any, any idea of what, um, negotiations or anything like that, that's simply way too early to begin that conversation. Uh, at this point, uh, we are preparing to try this case. If something else happens along the way, we'll see. Um, but at this point, we don't have any, we don't, we don't have any plans in that direction. Um, you know, that is something that I will, uh, I don't have anything to report right now. Uh, at this time, we're focused on investigating the case. Uh, and so I think at this time, I'll I will consult with the BCA and uh, other uh, partners on the case, and we'll come to a conclusion about that. Again, we believe in transparency, but we also believe in a thorough investigation, most importantly. The three officers been taken into custody? Uh, I'll allow uh, Mr. Drew Evans to address that issue.
Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Drew Evans. I'm the superintendent of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. Uh, we are in the process of uh, taking the officers into custody. I can report that one is in custody now, and the other two we are in the process of uh, taking into custody and expect them to be this afternoon. Uh, I will, uh, as the Attorney General said, we can't speak about all the details of the case other than what's really uh, in the complaint at this time. I will tell you with any investigation, as I've told you all from the very beginning, we have teams of investigators from the BCA uh, jointly investigating this with the FBI, trying to uh, obtain all information. In this case, I will tell you that is a regular course of all of our investigations to attempt interviews with all of the officers. We have in interviewed uh, numerous individuals uh, in this case, and uh, additional information will be provided as we move forward. Mr. General, do you have the folks you need to do this, or will you be seeking some sort of outside counsel or special counsel as you're authorized to do under the law? At this time, I believe we have the team to complete this work. I would like to just introduce uh, David Voigt as well. He is a deputy at the Attorney General's office. He heads the criminal division, and he, he has the lawyers to get this done. And also we have some experienced lawyers at the Hennepin County Attorney's office. We're working on this thing together. In terms of the timing of this decision, I know the Voigt family was hoping to be able to have more information on these charges the memorial tomorrow. How much did that factor in your decision as well as uh, the protests with them calling for these across the country as well and growing assets? You know, I can say that um, I did not allow uh, public pressure to impact our decision-making process. I was prepared to withstand whatever calls came uh, we made the chart. We made these decisions based on the facts that we have gathered uh, since this matter occurred, uh, and made the charges based on uh, the, the the law that we think is applies. Um, so that, that's 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 my answer. Yeah. It's going fine. It's going great. I spent a lot of time in Hennepin County when I was a trial lawyer myself, and I know a lot of the, I know all these, I know all the lawyers there. I respect them all, admire them all, and we're, we're going along fine. Can I introduce you? Okay. Andy Lefevre, he represents uh, Hennepin County Attorney's Office, his first deputy at, uh, uh, for Mike Freeman, right? No, that, that I'm going to let the people who prosecute cases every single day to prosecute this case. Now, it is true that uh, I've tried a lot of cases and I've tried homicide cases, but on the other side of the courtroom, uh, the people who know how to prosecute, I'm going to let them do that work. You know, I, I think it helps me anticipate what some of the um, some of the attacks on our case might be. trial here? I see no reason why we can't get a fair trial here. With the charges that were just filed, my math is correct. Do the three officers now face the potential same maximum sentence as Officer Chauvin? Yes. Well, um, but, yes, sir. Any other policy? 
apologize if you've addressed this before, but does your involvement in this case now put you on the sidelines in terms of the legislative process and working for police reform uh, legislation? No. Um, I'll continue to do all the duties that I have, which involve legislative, which involve a lot. We've been very active in the civil space. Uh, we've been active in representing state uh, agencies and government. We'll be, I'll continue to supervise that as I always do, but I feel, I feel very confident in it because um, I have uh, excellent professionals who are going to be focused on this like a laser beam every single day. General, could you just take us into that room when the decision was made for you personally, for this case, filing charges, the moment you had personally? I feel a tremendous sense of uh, weight. Um, I feel that this, I feel this is a very serious moment. I can honestly tell you I take no joy in this, but I do feel a tremendous sense of duty and responsibility. I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe. Yeah. I, I would just uh, answer that in terms of that is left up to uh, the various uh, sheriffs that we work with on this. They make, uh, as Commissioner Schnell noted the other day, uh, security decisions and the best place for everybody in light of everything that's going on right now in the Twin Cities. Again, those are decisions based on the uh, analysis of the sheriff, and they work closely with the Department of Corrections to make sure that they uh, have everybody in their custody uh, where they uh, should be based on safety assessments. Thank you all very much. I will say to them that I pledge and I promise to hold uh, all to everyone accountable for the behavior that we can prove in a court uh, and that if I don't charge it, it means that we did not have the facts to do that. So um, I'll, I'll simply say that um, as the people who are legal professionals, professional prosecutors, uh, we are taking our duty seriously. And we are uh, working with the people who are, uh, gather the facts, and this is, and we have, and we have done the, we have done the work that we we believe is is possible, ethical, and right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. Uh, let me be honest here. I mean, our country has had has underprosecuted these matters uh, in Minnesota and throughout the country. And so I think the trust is a result of historically not holding uh, people who are public guardians uh, accountable uh, for their behavior in situations where we should have. Uh, so that, I think, is the origin of the trust problem. But we can't, we can't control the past. All we can do is take the case that we have in front of us right now and do our good faith best to bring justice to this situation, and we will. You were just uh, listening to Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, a Democrat, uh, announcing that a new charge of second-degree murder has been added for the officer who had his knee on 
Floyd's neck, killing him, and also charges for three other officers. They've been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. Uh, let's talk about this now with CNN legal analyst Joey Jackson and Laura Coates. Uh, Joey, l- let me start with you. Officer Chauvin uh, was first charged with third-degree murder. Now prosecutors are charging him with second-degree murder, unintentional, it says. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Uh, uh, why is it significant? It's significant, Jake, good to be with you for a number of reasons. Let's start here. The first significance, I think, of this whole press conference is the significance of accountability. People talk about legislation in federal, you know, in Congress, legislation in state legislatures. The best thing you can do in order to resolve and help move this problem forward is to prosecute cases when you have evidence to do so, to your question. Here they believe they have that evidence. Now there's a distinction, people are wondering, wait, should it be first degree, should it be second, should it be third? Let's talk about what that means. If you're going to prosecute as a prosecutor first degree, you have to number one, show that he intended, that is the officer intended to kill him. But not only intended to kill George Floyd, you have to show that it was planned, it was premeditated, that's punishable by life. That's a very hard push. The second issue now to what he did charge is the second degree. You simply have to demonstrate intent to kill, but you don't have to show a design or a plan or a premeditation to do so. That was upgraded, Jake, from third degree. What is that? It's when you're engaged in something that is is very serious, right? You're engaged in serious conduct and you do it callously with a depraved heart. What conduct is that? Well, when you have your foot or excuse me, your knee on the neck of someone for that extended period of time, that seems pretty calculated. That seems pretty inhumane. It was the upgrading of the charges as it related to Officer Chauvin. Last point, Jake, and that's this. We also saw accountability as to the other officers who people might suggest were standing by. No, they weren't just standing by. They were doing something a lot more. And here's why it's relevant. If a person is merely present, they have no legal liability or culpability at all if you're merely present. But they were not merely present. The prosecutor's argument is that they participated, they aided, they abetted, they importuned. They allowed this to happen through their active conduct. And there's other vi- other video that would suggest that they were also kneeling on him, holding him down. And the final, final point is when they were doing so, he was saying things like what? Like I can't breathe. Like I'm going to die. Like calling for his mother. So this prosecutor is very motivated to find the truth that appears. And in finding that active investigating truth, he believes that he could sustain those charges. And that's where we are today. And Laura, uh, you're more than familiar with Minnesota law. You're from Minnesota. You can practice in the state. And the charging document says, quote, charge second degree murder unintentional while committing a felony. What does that mean under the law unintentional if second degree murder also requires intent? Well, Minnesota is distinct from probably a lot of other states. They actually have two ways to prove second degree murder. You can either intend to kill somebody or you can be in the unintentional category as long as you are um, attempting to or committing a felony and somebody is killed in the process. Those felony ranges in Minnesota that would allow you to charge someone, even if you cannot prove that they intended to kill the person, include about five different degrees of assault. The most important ones here are the first two. First degree assault is a felony. Essentially, it's codified in the statute to say, listen, you have to cause great bodily harm so somebody is close to death. 
second degree assault, when it's usually, usually using a weapon, but the person has substantial bodily harm. So under either of those two types of felony assault, um, which would be the basis to say if you were attempting to commit either of those or you actually did commit either of those, you don't even have to prove intent under second degree murder in Minnesota. And as far as the idea of what this speaks to, and, and as Joey's absolutely right, you charge the highest charge you can likely prove, and it's very difficult oftentimes to get into the mind of a particular person if you don't have evidence to support it. But second-degree murder in Minnesota with those two categories, even if you, don't, if you don't have to prove intent or you can't prove intent, you can still be facing 40 years in prison for your activity. And these other officers... They have accomplice liability for those things as well. So it's a nuance in Minnesota. It was not available under the third degree murder charge. It is now no obligation to prove intent under a felony offense doctrine. Interesting. Um, let's go to CNN Sarah Seidner right now. She is in Minneapolis. And Sarah, you're getting new reaction uh, from the, the Floyd family attorney. Uh, to these new charges, uh, Mr. Benjamin Crump, I believe, uh, w what are you hearing from him? Look, he says that the family is relieved that there has been an upgrade, if you will, a stronger charge uh, against officer, former officer Chauvin. Uh, also that they are happy to see that charges have been meted out against the other three officers. Uh, they had learned about these charges uh, that they had put, already put into the court documents, uh, learned about it a little bit earlier than the announcement. Um, but they also said something very interesting here, Jake, and, and that should be relayed uh, to the public. And that is that they've been having conversations uh, with, with the attorney general's office, and they have told them that if they see more evidence to point to a stronger crime, i.e. first-degree murder, that they will charge that. Uh, and the, the, the family has been assured that if they are able, if prosecutors are able to, to, to get and see enough evidence, uh, that they will lift that, that charge again against Officer Chauvin and potentially against uh, the other officers. Uh, they were pleased to hear that there were charges against those other three officers. A lot of people here in Minneapolis uh, who have been out every day uh, protesting what they saw on that videotape that just shocked the world and disturbed every human being uh, when you look at what happened to George Floyd. Uh, the folks here have been waiting many days uh, for these charges of those other officers, wondering if those charges are coming. And there is a sense both from the family, their attorney, Benjamin Crump, and from uh, the, the public that had this been reversed, had this been a citizen caught on camera doing this to another citizen, that everyone involved would have been at least arrested uh, and charged right away, and they would have dealt with the investigation later, as they often do, and that it always seems that police officers get treated very differently than the public, even though they have an obligation to protect and serve, um, and they have quite a bit of power in society because they are allowed to, to carry weapons and use them against people if, uh, if they feel that that is the right thing to do at the time. So, Jake, what we're hearing again is that they are relieved to hear that there are stronger charges against former officer Derek Chauvin and that there are now new charges uh, against the three officers uh, who were with him that day. All right, Sarah Seidner, thank you so much. Uh, I want to turn back to our legal analysts, Joey Jackson and Laura Coates. I also want to bring in uh, Cedric Alexander, the past president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Uh, Cedric, let me start with you. Attorney General 
Ellison, Minnesota Attorney General Ellison, said police in the past have not been held accountable for their actions as much as they should have been, and that has created a level of mistrust. Uh, Do you agree? Well, certainly, and I think that any of us out here that are chiefs and sheriffs across the country have been in that role. I think that certainly, and I think the statistics will even point that out. So we're at a new crossroad here today, and partially because of what we saw that occurred on uh, the 25th. So uh, for the law enforcement community itself, you're talking about the community being relieved, and I hope that they are. I believe that the law enforcement community is going to have a sigh of relief as well, too, because many of us that are professionals and those that are still in the profession, we were all horrified by what we saw. But yes, uh, there needs to be some police reform, but we can't forget the good officers out there who are still out there right now in trying, they themselves are trying to work through this emotionally as well. What do you think police departments and police officers across the country are taking from today's updated charges? Well, I think here's something that we all need to take. I think all of those that are out there that are executives in the organizations, we need to take a deep dive look inside. We need to make sure all of us as leaders that from the top, we're signaling the right messages. It also is important for the men and women who serve that they know that humanity, having a moral compass, being compassionate toward the people that we serve out there is so important because at the end of the day, this is about trust. The community want to trust us and we have to have a level of legitimacy in which that they feel that they can. So we can turn, begin to turn the page, even though this would probably be a long trial and a process. But hopefully we all, community and public safety, can begin to turn a page and look at some things that we can do different together so that we don't have these type of ongoing horrific events and certainly the shooting of men of color that is so frequent in this country. Joey, let me ask you a a, a hypothetical, an uncomfortable hypothetical. Do you think these charges would have been brought today if that brave 17-year-old girl with her smartphone had not filmed the killing of Mr. Floyd? Would, would these charges have happened without that video evidence of it? Jake, I'm glad to answer the hypothetical, and I'm glad to give you an honest answer, and I believe no. I mean, let's just look and take a step back. You look at Ahmaud Aubrey, and you saw what happened in that instance where nothing occurred, right? It, nothing to see here a day after, of course, the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey. And the day after, prosecutor says nothing to see. A videotape surfaces demonstrating what occurred. It leads to outrage. It leads to people saying, I'm mad as heck. I'm not going to take it anymore. What is going on? And then we have an arrest and a prosecution. Forwarding to this case, fast forwarding, you have a tape where people saw the lack of humanity. They saw before their own eyes an officer committing a crime after they pleaded. That is the crowd. Stop. You're hurting him after he was himself, George Floyd, pleading. Stop. And then it takes that long, Jake, to affect an arrest of him. 
And then today, nine days later, there's justice, at least now, for the rest of them. Last point. And that is our colleague, Omar Jimenez, is out there in broad daylight doing his job so well, keeping the public informed as to what's happening, giving commentary as to what's occurring around him. And he, in broad daylight, is arrested for doing nothing. And so you look at the dichotomy, you look at the disproportionate treatment that's being offered here, and you get the outrage. And so something has to change. People, of course, need to be... Uh, you know, calm and they, you know, rioting, looting. It's not the answer. Violence is not the answer. But we have to be vi vigilant and hold accountable. Something has to change. And Laura, Minnesota Attorney General Ellison uh, said he expects these cases, these prosecutions, to be a challenge. Take a listen. Because mm -hmm. trying this case will not be an easy thing. Winning a conviction will be hard. But history does show that there are clear challenges here. Laura, what are those challenges? What are the biggest challenges in prosecuting uh, police officers uh, for former police officers uh, for crimes like these second degree murder? Well, the concept of benefit of the doubt, you know, it works well when you're talking about presumption of innocence. It's heightened exponentially when you're talking about police officers, because overwhelmingly you have a jury pool who believes wholeheartedly in the bad apples theory not being true for this particular set of officers or anyone. They don't believe that any officer gets up in the morning with the intention to kill anyone or harm and only to do good. And you have to battle, frankly, as a prosecutor against that presumption and that benefit of the doubt that is given almost exclusively to police officers. In fact, when I prosecuted cases, one of the first things we have to ask members of the jury, even for cases not involving an officer as the defendant or an ex-officer as the defendant is to ask the question, would you give more weight to the testimony of a police officer than you would to anyone else? And almost overwhelmingly, people will say, well, yes, actually, I will, because of the manner of the uniform and their public service. That's the first part. The second part in terms of the proving of the case is you got to have a jury pool that is going to be objective. Remember in the Rodney King case, it was very difficult to be able to find a jury who could honestly say, no, I've never heard of this case whatsoever. I have no preconceived notions going in and I'll be able to follow the instructions as given to me. That's difficult to grapple with. And finally, because you're talking about a, a group of human beings with divergent and often differing opinions, you have to have unanimity. You have to have everyone in agreement. And oftentimes, as you know, with that benefit of the doubt, with people's preconceived notions, with people's just conflation of the rightful protesters seeking justice for George Floyd and those who have hijacked it in the interest of looting, it only takes one person to undermine this case. All right. Thanks one and all for, for your insights and your expertise. Appreciate it. Coming up, I can't breathe the words both George Floyd and Eric Garner said as they were killed in police custody. Garner's daughter will join us next. Her reaction to the new charges and her message to those out in the streets next. And we're back with the breaking news. All four officers involved in the killing of George Floyd have been charged the officer who knelt on Mr. Floyd's neck has been charged with second-degree murder. The other three have been charged with aiding and abetting that murder. George Floyd's cries of, I can't breathe, echoed another tragic incident where an unarmed black man accused of a petty crime 
was killed while in police custody. I'm referring, of course, to Eric Garner, who was killed in 2014 after New York police put him in a chokehold. Joining me now, Eric Garner's daughter, Emerald Snipes Garner, and Atan Thomas, former NBA star and author of We Matter, Athletes and Activism. Emerald, let me start with today's breaking news. Uh, the officers involved in your father's death were never charged, and it took five years for one of the officers to just be fired. Um, what's your reaction to what happened today? I think that um, first I want to give my condolences to um, I know exactly how it feels to continuously watch your loved one on TV. Um, and you're right. In my father's case, no one was charged. No one was held accountable. Nobody ultimately, um, nobody paid the price. And um, with Daniel Pantaleo being five, fired five years later, it, it really didn't take any, take any effect. And I see now that the officers being charged and all officers involved, I see that as a step in the right direction, but we have way more work to do. And just quickly, um, what was your reaction when you heard that Mr. Floyd had said, I can't breathe? That must have been haunting for you and, and those in your family. My first reaction, I automatically thought about the children. Um, they will never see their father again. They will never see, they will never hear from him again. They will never get to share memories and they will never get to, to experience, um, you know, knowing their father. I had 22 years with my father. And um, what I'm understanding is that his, his family, that they're really young and, you know, they may not understand what's going on right now, but um, I just want them to hold close to their heart that I understand them and I, I, I feel for them wholeheartedly. Atan, what, what was your reaction when you heard uh, th about the charges today, all four officers charged uh, and the charges against the main officer um, upgraded from uh, third degree murder to second degree? Well, I, I think that it's great, but what we need to be focused on is the overall, um, you know, police accountability. That's what we need to be focused on. I mean, right now we're at a situation where you have companies all over the country uh, making statements. And statements are nice, but now we need to see actually laws being changed. And, you know, one of the things that Emerald is pushing for is this, this um, Eric Garner law that outlaws um, the chokehold ever being used by the New York Police Department completely. Now, this is a baby step. But this this should have been this should have been instituted a long time ago. But this is a time for laws to be changed. You know, um, Tiffany Crutcher, whose whose brother Terrence Crutcher was killed as well, always says that you know we can't legislate people's hearts, but we can change the laws to make it illegal for them to act on their racism and their biases. And that's what we have to do. And Emerald, let's talk about that. You've teamed up with members of Congress, including Senator Gillibrand, to introduce the Eric Garner Excessive Use of Force Prevention Act, uh, which, as Mr. Thomas notes, it would ban law enforcement from using uh, chokeholds. Um, do you hope, do you have hope uh, that this will actually become law? Um, at this point, it's not about hope. Uh, for me, it's about demanding action. Um, I do think everybody who's already signed up on on board to support the Eric Garner law, and I don't doubt that if this law was passed the first time, George Floyd would be here today. I don't doubt that at all. This is something that needs to happen. It has to happen. And 
you know, and and federal and and you know, the Eric Garner bill would definitely prosecute officers on a federal level. And that's the type of action and that's the type of change that we need. The people are out here unguided and they need guidance. They need leaders to step up to the plate. So I appreciate everybody that's signing on. I'm looking for everybody's support for this Eric Garner law. And we need it now because change needs to happen. We don't want, like, like I said six years ago, I don't want another Eric Garner. And here we are almost six years to the day. My father died two thousand six years ago next month. And we have another Eric Garner. So I'm not accepting no. I'm, I'm not accepting no. Like there, there, there's, there's no exception. There's no excuse as to why this law is not, should not be passed. And Erica, six years after your father's death, what message do you have for protesters who are Emerald, Emerald, still Emerald, having to protest Emerald, about this? And Emerald, what, what, Emerald, what is your message for protesters yeah. who are? What? Yeah. What, what is your message for? I'm sorry if you're not hearing me. Uh, the, the connection is is shaky, I guess. But what is your message for protesters who are still out there? Chanting the same things, I can't breathe, protesting the same issues, demanding the same kind of justice that they demanded back in 2014. I think that we shouldn't focus on the protesters because the protesters are an exact reaction to the killing of unarmed black people. So I think that we should focus on the legislation. I think that we should work on police reform. I think that we should work on changing the view of African-American young people and not making it so easy for police officers to get off. That's where I think that we should direct that. And Natan, your activism allows you to work closely uh, with family members of victims of uh, police brutality, including Emerald. Right now, protesters are demanding accountability, especially in the Floyd case. But once the protests are over and the streets are back to normal, Tell us uh, what else besides the Eric Garner law you think lawmakers need to move on. Oh, my gosh, there's such a long list. Uh, The way that we police in this country is absurd. I mean, the fact that so many police departments, you know, they have internal investigations whenever a police officer kills someone. So um, basically, I'm going to put it in your hands to investigate yourself and tell me what, what, what you did wrong. I think that's absurd. I mean, anybody that has children, if you if you told your children that, you know, you could you could do whatever you want to and, and you could just tell me if, what your punishment should be. That's an absurd type of type of situation. So what they should have an outside entity to investigate every police department as soon as there is a police killing. And then also what needs to happen is that police have to show a reason. They have to show cause. They can't just do what Betty Shelby did in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after she murdered Terrence Crutcher and just say, I was in fear for my life. And that's it. They have to be able to actually show that there was a direct reason for them to, to brandish their weapon, for them to use lethal force. Right, right now, they just have a license to kill. And nobody can be above the law. You know, right now, Trump is, is worried about, you know, squashing the protesters. And he said he wants to bring force against the protesters. But he didn't say anything about overhauling the police department so they don't have a reason to protest. And that's where the focus needs to be. It's changing the laws, changing the rules. So we have police accountability to where we, we if they do choose to kill another unarmed black man, a uh, black woman, the way they've been doing, that they are being um, put to jail, put, put in prison for it. And that will serve as a deterrent for the rest of them. But right now, they just have a license to kill. And it's not all police officers. I'm not saying that all police officers are bad. But, they, but there are too many police officers that have no accountability and they just have a license to kill. And that's not the way that we can run a system. Okay. Atan Thomas, Emerald Snipes, Garner, thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. Protests are still thank underway. You. 
in Washington, D.C. Military convoys are just arriving in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House after it was announced that all four officers will be charged in the murder of George Floyd. CNN's Alex Marquardt joins me now. Uh, Alex, how are protesters in Washington reacting uh, to the news of these new charges? Well, Jake, I think it's still setting in. Every day, uh, federal officials here have been trying to push protesters farther and farther away from the White House. First, they're in the park, then they got pushed out. Then they put up that fence around the park. And now the protesters have been pushed about half a block away from the park. As you can see, that has not stopped them from coming out. Moments ago, uh, there was a vigil held out here. I spoke with the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church, which of course is where uh, the president uh, held that photo opportunity a couple days ago. And he was saying that his parishioners can't even go to the church. So for yet another day, this is the sixth day of protests here in DC, Jake. These protesters have turned out in large numbers. As you can see, they're taking a knee, and that does speak to the tone of these protests for the last few days, which have been almost entirely peaceful. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt across the street from the White House this afternoon. The White House publicly defended the president's controversial photo op at St. John's Church, pinning the decision to clear Lafayette Park on Attorney General Bill Barr, as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports. Defense Secretary Mark Esper was already on thin ice with the White House when he broke with President Trump today on whether active duty military should be deployed to American cities to curb protests. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. In a remarkable press conference, the Pentagon chief contradicted Trump, who threatened days earlier to invoke a 200-year-old law and put troops on U.S. streets. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. As the military takes a larger role in confronting protesters in the nation's capital, around 1,600 active duty troops have been placed on standby in the Washington area. After telling NBC News, I didn't know where I was going, Esper conceded today he knew Trump was headed to St. John's Church when he left the White House on Monday. I did know that we were going to the church. I was not aware of a photo op was happening. Protesters were forced out of Lafayette Park using smoke canisters and pepper balls for that photo op. The administration has disputed that tear gas was used, though the CDC considers pepper spray to be in that category. The White House believes that moment mirrored Winston Churchill inspecting bombing damage during World War II. Churchill, we saw him inspecting the bombing damage. It sent a powerful message of leadership to the British people. Esper was already on shaky ground with the president, sources say, and today the press secretary refused to say if Trump had confidence in him. As of right now, Secretary Esper is still Secretary Esper, and uh, should the president lose faith, um, we will all learn about that um, in the future. While Esper is distancing himself from that photo op, the president is defending it and dismissed the religious leaders who condemned it. I did hold up a Bible. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing, and many religious leaders loved it. In that interview with Fox News, News, Trump denied sheltering in an underground bunker as protest raged outside the White House. He says he did go to the bunker, but it was more for an inspection. I went down uh, during the day and I was there for a tiny little short period of time and it was much more for an inspection. There was no problem during the day. I've gone down uh, two or three times, all for inspection. 
Now, Jake, today the defense secretary also said he should have used different language when on that call with governors the other day talking about how to control protests and riots. He said that they needed to dominate the, quote, battle space. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House for us. Thanks so much. A retired St. Louis police captain who was a father of five and a grandfather of 10 was murdered. An unknown gunman shot and killed 77-year-old David Dorn early Tuesday while he worked security at a pawn shop. As CNN's Ryan Young reports, Dorn is far from the only American to become a target of violence in the last week. A warning, some of the images here are graphic. Come on, I just kept this man with some TVs, cuz. Police say 77-year-old retired police captain David Dorn was shot by looters while trying to protect a Missouri pawn shop Monday night. Man, his soul rest in peace, bro. He called me just crying and bawling and like, uh, they shot and killed dad. They shot and killed dad. His son now pleading for peace. Just step back from what you're doing. Know the real reason that you're protesting. Let's do it in a positive manner. This is a peaceful march and a peaceful rally. While the majority of protests have been nonviolent. Dorn's killing is one of many vicious attacks on law enforcement and security since the death of George Floyd last week. There are actually 800,000 law enforcement officers in this country paying the price for what happened to George Floyd, which that is wrong. And the price in some cases has been high. The shot rang out and our officer went down. 29-year-old officer Shea Mekalonis is fighting for his life after being shot Monday night in Las Vegas. The good intended and law-abiding people leave and those that seek to break the law stay behind. In Buffalo, New York, officials say video shows an SUV driving directly into police, leaving one with a shattered pelvis and broken leg and two others with minor injuries. And it's not just police. Protesters are also being injured, some hit by an LAPD vehicle Sunday. And journalists have been hurt as well. It's okay, it's those pepper bullets. The onslaught of physical attacks taking its toll. My prayers are for the family and friends. Including at David Dorn's former police department. You try to get them on the straight and narrow. Dorn's son says his dad would have stepped up to help his killer. My dad, he's a forgiving soul, so he would have forgiven that person. None of that is what George Floyd would have wanted. Our thanks to Ryan Young for that reporting. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.